right. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Marlin's Corner. Uh, so glad to be with you today. Um, big shout out to everyone who checked out the Candyman review. Uh, that definitely got a whole lot of uh, likes and comments, and that was that was awesome. It feels great to to have all these uh, folks coming in. Hopefully, uh, you're here checking us out after checking out the Candyman review. Um, we're going to be doing a whole lot more of these things, especially as uh, movies are starting to come out more frequently. Theaters are opening back up again, and it's a great time to be really big into cinema. So, uh, thanks for being here for this episode. Uh, we're going to be focusing on just two films uh, from Netflix and from Amazon, respectfully. Uh, we're going to be talking about Netflix's Kate and the uh, Cinderella reboot from Amazon. So uh, strap in for, for that. It's going to be a fun ride. All right. We're going to start off with Kate. Uh, this is directed by Cedric Nicolas Trahan, uh, and it's written by Umar Alim. What's interesting about uh, the director and the writer is that on their INDB page, um, for the director, he's directed maybe one other film. And for the writer, he's maybe written one other film. So it was really interesting to see that they've done one thing a piece and they were given this film. So very interesting out the gate. Um, so just know that going forward that these two just wrote one thing, directed one thing, and boom, they got this uh, on the docket. So that was wild. Uh, the cast of this film is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's playing Kate. You got Woody Harrelson playing Varric. You got Miku Patricia, uh, who's playing Ani. You have uh, Tadanobu Asano, who's playing Renji. And you have June Kunimura, who's playing Kajima uh, in this film. And the plot uh, goes like this. A, a meticulous and skilled uh, assassin or assassin, Kate is the perfect specimen of a uh, of a finely tuned assassin at the Hydra game. Uh, but when she messes up in an assignment, when she's targeting a member of the Yakuza, she discovers that she's been poisoned, and she has to uh, you know she's going through a brutally slow execution that gives her what the film says is less than twenty four hours to uh, to live. And so she's spending that time hunting down her killers, and as her body starts to deteriorate, she forms forms an unlikely bond with the teenage daughter of one of her past victims. Uh, now, just knowing going to this film, it's very violent, hyper-violent. Uh, if you've seen John Wick, if you've seen Atomic Blonde, uh, they go all out. Um, she is vicious with any kind of equipment, gun, knife, chopstick, pen. She's all about it, and she's going to get the job done. Um, it is, you know, a fun and violent ride. It, I should acknowledge that it definitely, unfortunately, leans heavy on a lot of these Japanese tropes. Um, and there are certain points where you can get a little distracted into, like, how much they're relying on these tropes to kind of be like, we get it, you're in Japan, you don't got to really, like, keep going that hard with it, but it, it definitely has its points. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes score uh, on this is, you know, it's a little low. Not gonna lie to you, it's it's a it's 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 a bit low. It has I think about a forty percent from critics and a fifty five percent from audiences. Um, and I think the top consensus is like, you know, Mary Elizabeth Winstead does, you know. She does an amazing job in this role, but Kate is disappointingly de de derivative of, you know, numerous other female assassination films. Uh, and ultimately, like, while I do agree with that, what I came away from this film, uh, is this. I came away thinking, what the hell do you see? 
What the hell, Warner Brothers? Mary Elizabeth Winstead should have been in a solo Huntress film that could have been almost exactly like this. Like, this could have been a Huntress film. If y'all saw Birds of Prey, which hopefully you have, um, you remember that she played the character Helena Bertinelli, who had this backstory that was very similar to Bruce Wayne. Her family was murdered uh, due to some assassinations, some like gangsters and whatnot. But her character then went on to like go on to hunt down these men that caused her family harm. And she was just a badass character. And instead of us getting a film about her, like the movie was over and we just great. We're going to go now to Suicide Squad. And like, y'all, like this Huntress film could have been this. She could have been going through Gotham City, uh, taking out these, these men in these way. And like, honestly, this film just showed us that Mary Elizabeth Winstead could have done this. She could have been DC. This could have been one of DC's biggest, most violent films that would have been entertaining, uh, as an IP. And it just, I think it really just proves and highlights that. DC and, and, and Warner Brothers continue to make these mistakes. And it's just truly disappointing. Like this could have been an amazing Huntress film. Maybe we could have had some other cameos of other characters, but we could have had a really awesome film, almost uh, similar to Punisher where Huntress is like going down these mafia families, trying to find other clues. And it could just be really awesome and violent, but it could be attached to the DC universe, which could have added to their like really struggling, uh, <laughs> dynamic right now. This could have been a film that they could have really put their money in and it could have worked out. Like maybe that, 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 that DC tie-in would have boosted some of these audience scores and maybe it could have boosted it up a bit more had it been, uh, under the umbrella of DC. Uh, and it's just really unfortunate that that wasn't the movie that they wanted to green light. It's a tragic waste of an IP and a waste of an amazing actress. And now again, like, you know, Kate isn't like, a standout film like like i said earlier it does follow other films where the protagonist goes out for revenge with nothing but a gun and rage um and it also doesn't help that netflix released a similar film just a little while ago uh you know called milkshake and gunpowder and both of those films have a very similar thing where the protagonist uh kills the father of the young female companion and they keep that a secret until like the third act where they finally talk about it and there's like maybe a small rift and then the child decides to forgive the murder of their parents and befriend the uh the protagonist and it's, it's a very weird trope and i'm hoping it doesn't take any more ground i'm hoping it doesn't you know become a new thing that that the protagonist can just kill a family member from from, a, from some young child and then they're great like now we're friends now like i hope it doesn't become a thing that, that starts to catch on it needs to stop it's super inappropriate that literally in the movie kate assassinates uh this little girl's father uh and then they have like of course the third act argument and then ultimately the little girl forgives her and like yo i'm i think it's great to forgive for you know forgiveness is definitely something that it's a process and if you feel like you want to forgive someone that's on you but it just seems really really weird that this character murders your father doesn't tell you about it 
Then you hear about it. And then within like the same night, mind you, and Kate, she has 24 hours to live. So within 24 hours, this little girl finds out that her father was murdered by Kate and then forgives her within like that 24 hours. Like that's a fast turnaround. That's way too fast. It was also a lot of that not only does the little girl forgive her, but like the brother of the guy also forgives her. It's just this really quick confession around. It really doesn't add to the film and it doesn't need to be there. But what I'm going to like the, the hill I will die on is the fact that this could and should have been a, a huntress film. You tweak some things around, you iron it out, you throw in Gotham City, the DC fanboys, the WB fanboys, you could have even got Zack Snyder to like maybe help out with writing. This could have been a salvageable uh, film, probably up there with maybe the first Wonder Woman if this was done correctly. And it's unfortunate that they uh, drug their feet and wasted their time and didn't do that. And we probably won't see Huntress back in the DC universe, which is truly disappointing, especially with how they set her up in Birds of Prey. Um, but DC, if you're thinking about it, look at the action scenes in Kate. Mary Elizabeth Winstead can do this work. She can definitely kick some ass in that DC world, bring her over there. Um, and even though this film isn't like that awesome, if you're a fan of Mary Elizabeth since like Scott Pilgrim days, give it a watch. It's really cool. She slices through a bunch of these Yakuza with like wild tenacity, wild violence. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a showstopper. It's also a great, uh, homage to Tokyo Ghoul at some point because, Japan and anime, but yo, it was a fun film. Wasn't the best, but yeah, I think you might like it. So check out, uh, Kate on Netflix and, you know, I'll probably give it like maybe like a five, 5.5 out of 10. You know, there's room to, room to improve, room to grow. But if you just watch all the violent scenes, then, you know, you're in for a good time. And, uh, next up, we're going to talk about Amazon Cinderella. Uh, this is written and directed by, uh, Kay canon um now if you are familiar with k canon you know that she uh has uh her hat in the uh what's it called pitch pitch perfect world that's typically where where she is uh gets her experience from um she is all about pitch perfect i think she was the the producer of pitch perfect 2 pitch perfect 3 um as far as directing uh she's directed blockers and this is like her second film she's going to be directing Cinderella. Um, if you saw Blockers, it's, it's that film with John Cena, uh, where they're trying to cock block their, uh, daughters who are trying to get laid. So that's, it's a very 180 to this film. So there isn't going to be a lot of sexual things in this film. I just know that's kind of what, that was her last directed, uh, role, but she directed and wrote the screenplay for this, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, the cast of this movie is Camila Cabello. She plays Cinderella. Nicolas Galincin plays Prince Charming. You got Andina Menzel as the stepmother. Pierce Brosnan is the king. Minnie Driver is the queen. And Billy Porter is the fabulous godmother. Uh, the plot of this is, um, it's a modern musical take on the classic fairy tale. The ambitious heroine has big dreams. Wins up over her godmother. She perseveres to make them come true. Uh, and my thought about this film is that this, like, if you've ever read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein's Monster, uh, this is 
a film that's very similar. Uh, Kay McKinnon, it seems as if she watched all the popular musicals on Broadway and on film, and just decided just to kind of push them all together, just to smush them into one film. Uh, and what you get is a film that just like has so many uh, just pieces of other movies in it that it, it you kind of get taken out of like, oh, that's from that film and, and that's from that film. And it just really felt weird. A perfect example is the fact that out of nowhere there, and again, this they're, they're singing mostly top 40 songs and covers and that they're all terrible. And then to like make matters worse, they throw in a rapping town crier. I don't understand the need for a rapping town crier. It was really necessary. You could clearly see that they were... T- they were pulling from Hamilton, but it's a, it's a, he's a rapping town crier and he's like accompanied by like a brass band. And what's weird is that he like appears every now and again. And when he, whenever he does appear, he's like giving you like exposition and it just comes across just so jarring. I'm like, why is he still doing this? Also, do we really need a black guy rapping? Like, is that what we need? Like at this point in time, like we could do other things. Like he could have been singing because this film had a lot of singing. The singing was like, it could have been a singing person. There is a woman in this who does have an amazing voice who's like a part of the town and does a really awesome run. But it's like, nope, this black guy's just going to rap randomly, even though there's no other points where we're going to be rapping in this film. But no, no, he's just going to rap every now and again. Uh, it was just, it was just really weak. It was really bad. And you know your musical is in trouble when your top stars can't save it. Camila Cabello is a singer. Dina Manzel is a sanger. Billy Porter is a sanger. And yet you have these three individuals who couldn't save this film. What makes matters worse is that Dina Manzel, they definitely had her do an, an original song, which is fantastic, but she also did a bunch of covers, which I get it. You don't have a lot of, like, you, you didn't really want to write a lot of songs for this movie. So you just plug in a cover song, but it just felt so weird and so strange that they almost wanted this film to be kind of like an operetta where in between every other line of dialogue, there's a song, but it's like if between every other line of dialogue, it has to be a top 40 song. Is your movie really like, is it necessary to do this? If you take out the songs, how long is your movie was like, was, my question. If you take out all the non-original songs, how long would this movie be? It wouldn't be as long as it was. They, but they were jamming in these cover songs because there wasn't a lot of plot to play with. It was just a really straightforward story that we've seen a bunch of times before and we've seen it done a lot better. I mean, I like what comes to mind is, uh, the, the film with Brandy. Brandy's film where she did Cinderella and they had all original songs. They had Whitney Houston, they had Whoopi Goldberg and they made a cult classic. Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella was a cult classic. It has one of like the most amazing Cinderella soundtracks. You can clearly see this film was borrowing a lot from, Oh, let's just have a bunch of songs, but it's like, you didn't write these songs for this movie. And when you throw in a bunch of covers, this isn't pitch perfect. You can't really get away with that. You can't really get away with like throwing in cover songs and a Cinderella film was like, cool. Like you didn't have an idea of what they're going to say next. You're just going to have them sing and there's going to dance and it just doesn't go great. And what's truly criminal is that Billy Porter only has one song and it's a very short song. And it's like, y'all got Billy Porter and you're not going to use him. Are you kidding me? What a waste of a talent of a voice. It was just truly 
truly a garbage film. I'll say it right now. Uh, it, it wasn't great. They, it was just slapped together ideas, slapped together songs, slapped together structure. And I think the biggest faux pas was that this film has access to auto-tune, to touch-ups. And it just felt like everyone that wasn't a singer that was singing was flat. Their voices were really monotone and it and i was like really like y'all couldn't fix that like i i I don't know what nicholas valentine does but i do know that he doesn't sing or or maybe he was just having an off day on set but whenever he opens up the saying it was just a really rough ride it was a truly rough ride hearing him sing you could clearly see there were other characters who were like lip singing and had like tracks over them but it was just really rough having to hear people do covers of top 40 songs throughout the film and they weren't doing a good job at it uh and what's worse again i keep saying what's worse and what's more worse what what also comes to mind is the fact that this film i think had a real issue with figuring out who the focal point of the story was yes we're doing cinderella but then they also threw in the fact that the prince charming has a sister now and the sister has a dream and she wants to be uh the queen and so now she has her own like plot and also adina manzel's character they for some reason, refused to make her a true evil stepmother, as we've seen in all these versions of the film. Uh, they just refused to have her be too bad. Like, at some point, she does hit Cinderella, but then they, like, play it off as, like, her forgiving her in this way. And I feel like they were really having an issue making her that uh, stepmother. And when it came out, it was like, cool, like, the film doesn't know how to treat this character. No one knows how to treat her. She's mean, but then she has, like, these sad songs, and it's like, you clearly had an idea of what you were going to do with this character, but then didn't really put in the work to kind of convey that to the audience. You kind of made her seem wishy-washy, like, oh, she's nice now, then she's mean, but then she's nice now, but then she's mean. And it just felt like you just didn't really have an idea of how you want this character to come across. But there are multiple points in the film where like everyone has their own idea, and you at some point became just lost and like, cool, like, what's their thing? Like, oh, they, they want that? But what about them? Like, it became so many people had so many different threads. And it's like, this one is supposed to be about one character in total. And now you're introducing so many other characters. This is just a confusing mess. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, star power helps with audience reviews. It also is, you know, a kid film. I know that critics are not kind, uh, me being one of them as well. They're not really kind to this movie. I think it's a 43% Rotten Tomatoes, but there are a lot of audience members who are liking it. Um, and if you are someone that, you know, you want to keep your kids distracted and you want to keep them from running around the house, you can plug this in. They might know Camila Cabello. Uh, maybe they'll sit down and sing along a bit. But if you are a parent, maybe put on some headphones and play some better music because uh, it is a rough ride with this film. It is truly rough. You might even want to, at the end of it, go back and uh, just pay tribute to all the songs that they ruined uh, and give them uh, some appreciations. Well, yeah, those are those are my reviews for Kate and for Cinderella. Uh, Check out Kate. I feel more uh, passionate about watching that one versus Cinderella. They're both not great, but Cinderella is, quite frankly, far, far worse. Uh, it just, it was, it was, it was, it was not it. It wasn't it. And it was truly disappointing uh, that it wasn't it, but it just wasn't. It was just, it was a film that I think they put a lot of money into and a lot of star power behind, but not a lot of work went into that script. 
It just, it was, it was a really lazy script. It was basically fill in the numbers script of like, great. We got a star celebrity here. The story can be kind of wishy-washy. We can have folks saying, and then we'll just, you know, cast those checks. But, you know, that's my review of uh, those films. Definitely give uh, a like and a follow on Instagram. Send me some chats about what you think about this review. Or maybe you have a film that you want me to check out and I can give you that review. We can maybe tag team together and record an episode. Reach out. Let me know. I'm on Instagram at Marlon's Corner or on Facebook at Marlon's Corner. Definitely give us a review on Spotify, a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're a new listener or a returning listener. We appreciate you and your viewership. We'll see you next time over here on Marlon's Corner. Bye. This episode of Marlon's Corner was produced in Richmond, California.